Mark chapter 12. Thank you, Jake and Mackenzie. I think at one point, Jake thought y'all were laughing at him, and y'all were laughing at the pictures, actually. One of their, like, special... If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 933 in the Pew Bible. One of their special kind of treats, they don't eat very often, kind of expensive, a delicacy over there is called Kui, and that is guinea pig, and they will uh, raise guinea pigs just to have at special occasions, and that's what you saw there, like a rotisserie-style, cooked, grilled guinea pig. So I got a picture with it. I did not eat it. Mark chapter 12, when you leave the country, um, when coming back into the country can be uh, pretty complicated. If you watch the news, you know that immigration is a big deal in our country right now, and it is not easy to go in and out of the United States of America. It is a very heavy and intense and serious process. Uh, and we flew back into Atlanta, we flew overnight, and so you're coming in and you're tired. It's like four, four in the morning and you're walking through the Atlanta airport and you've got to get into uh, the immigration and it's really, really technical and you see people that are scared, you see people that are, are not Americans that you know that are going to have a, a difficult time coming through. Uh, you've got to have your passport and you've got to have all your documents and you have to, you have to go and uh, fingerprints and, and all of that sort of stuff. And you walk up there, and, 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 and generally, <coughs> generally, for somebody like, like us that we've, we've got all the right stuff, there really is nothing for us to be worried about, the majority of the time it is good and smooth. I remember last year, Val had something like a, an orange still in her backpack that she was wanting to give uh, to the girls as we were coming back. And the orange got snagged, and so we were in a special little room with them searching everything we got, going through everything. And so it can get a little bit awkward like that. Uh, this year, uh, Jake had three bags of trail mix with him, and they snagged that. They took all three of Jake's bags of trail mix. I mean, it, it can be tough. And if you've ever flown, you know that security uh, in the airports is a big deal. But when you're coming back, you walk up there, and, and, and rarely are they friendly. I don't want to say that the, uh, the, the airport people are, are the problem, but rarely are they friendly. And they'll ask you, why are you entering the country? And you're worried about, what might you say? <laughs> Is there something I could say wrong here that would get them in trouble? Uh, and then after you tell them why, you know, hey, I live here, I'm just coming back, I was just in Ecuador for uh, eight days, I'm just coming back trying to make it home, my wife's here, you know, something like that. Then they'll say, well, do you have anything with you? And you know, I'm ultra concerned as a Christian that I'm not lying, so I'm thinking, well, I mean, I might have a napkin in my pocket, I might have uh, some cookies in my backpack, and what do you mean do you have anything with you? And it's this tough interrogation. But well, we make it through, and it's all good, and we make it back. But it, it makes you nervous. Folks, the Bible tells us that one day we're going to stand before God in judgment. And if I've got a passport in hand and an airline ticket in hand, and I get nervous just entering the States, imagine how nervous we're going to be when we get to God. It's serious. It's very serious. And the Bible teaches us 
that we're not going to be able to try to explain ourselves of why we deserve to be there. I hope that you know this already, and I hope today that you will be reminded of it. You know, you often hear a joke or a story or maybe just a question. When you get to the gates of heaven, they often say, when St. Peter asks why he's going to let you in, we don't know that it would be Peter. What would you say, right? You've heard that question before. What would you say? And I want you to know that there are very few things that you could even possibly say. And it's not going to have anything to do with what you've done. But rather, it's going to have everything to do with who you believe Jesus is. Do you know him to be your Lord and Savior? Do you know him to be your God and Redeemer? Do you know him? And that's a real situation that is fastly approaching every one of us. We'd like to think that it's way down the road whenever our long lives end and then we stand before God. But as you know, life is a vapor and you're not promised tomorrow and that could be this afternoon. That could be here really soon. We have an expiration date on us, but we don't know what it is. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to stand before God. We don't know when we're going to have to uh, show that we are trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. And in our passage today in Mark chapter 12, Jesus brings this out. It's an interesting setting how Jesus just raises a question. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple... He said, how can a scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Our passage ends with a serious, stern warning from Jesus that there are people, religious people, good people, if you will, people who are very much so associated with the things of God who will receive the greater condemnation. People who will stand before God in judgment and all the nerves that come with it. People who have a big resume or long list of things that they could assert that show that they have done things for God. And yet Jesus says... They will be condemned. It's a heavy passage. But he says this after he has asked a question. Now, if you've been here the last several weeks, you know that that's the opposite of what has been going on. In all of chapter 12, we are seeing Jesus challenged and challenged and challenged. The end of chapter 11, they challenge his authority. They straight up ask him, where did you get the authority to do what you're doing? Then in chapter 12, Verse 13, the Pharisees ask him, who should we pay taxes to? 
Then in chapter 12, verse 18, the Sadducees ask him a question about the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection, but they ask him a question about the resurrection. What's it going to be like in heaven if there is a resurrection? And who's going to be married to who? That's a good question. And then, as we saw last week in verse 28, the scribes come up and ask him, which commandment of all the commandments is the greatest commandment? A lot of questions going on in chapter 12. They're coming at Jesus. We know that they're wanting to get him. They're wanting to trick him. They're wanting to test him. They're wanting to trap Jesus. They're hoping that they will find Jesus wrong and they will be able to say he's guilty and they will be able to do away with him. They are hoping that all together they can discredit him and therefore dismiss him and so he will not be a problem to them anymore. But they are unable to. And they fail at that. But there are a lot of questions When all of that ends, if you'll look at verse 34, the very end of verse 34, when all of that ends, it says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Of course not. He's God. He reigns. He's king. You don't question him. You don't try to trap him. Now, if you're coming at him in humility and you're seeking some answers or something like that, then absolutely that that would be good. But this type of Uh, antagonistic, opposing type of questioning is not good. And so we wonder where Jesus will go from there. I want to remind you again that we're in the final week. We are just days away from Jesus being crucified and we see what Jesus does. It says he's teaching in the temple and he raises a good question. How can the scribes say, that's who he was just talking to, remember that. How can the scribes say, that Christ is the son of David? Good question. That's a good question. Now, the parallel passage in Matthew 22 words it a little bit differently. This is what, what Austin read, and he says it like this. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So Matthew says, what do you think about the Christ? And whose son is he? That's how Matthew says it. Mark says it like this. How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? Now, listen here. The Bible teaches us very clearly, there's not much debate about it, that the Savior of the world would come through the line of David. So it's not not a question, not really much debate. The Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, is a son of David. He is from the line of David. He's not literally David's uh, actual son, but he is like David's great, 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 great grandson. He is down the line. He is through the line of David. If you'll remember in the Christmas story, the genealogies or the lineages at the beginning of Matthew and at the beginning of Luke, they are showing us that, okay? They are showing us that Jesus comes through the family line of David. And so what Jesus is saying here is not anything that's wrong or bad. He's just saying, how do y'all get to that conclusion? What is it that you think about the Christ? Whose son is he actually? He's asking them a Bible question. He's asking them a question about their understanding. Now, this is fascinating. Why is he? Do y'all like it when somebody asks y'all questions? Do your kids ever ask you questions about the Bible? Do you ever have any discussions around the dinner table about, hey, what about this and what about that? Y'all like those? Or does it make you nervous or uncomfortable? Does it remind you how little you know or how much you haven't read or that you don't go to Sunday school or anything like that and how you you need to understand the Bible better and so you just kind of freeze up and you say, I don't know? Is your default, even on the simplest question, well, you need to go ask Pastor Josh that? 
The reason why Jesus asked the question, y'all, is because what I opened up with. What you do with Jesus is what you do with your life. It's what you do with your soul. If Jesus is the reigning God of all creation, and that means something to you, it means something to the way you live. Jesus is a teacher. He said a lot. And if he's God and Lord and Savior to you, then his teaching's gonna matter to you. It's gonna be speaking to you. It's gonna be something that you're seeking to understand and follow and obey and live by. And so... We've got some Pharisees and some Sadducees and some scribes and we have the Sanhedrin here and Jesus has a question for them. Now, he could have done what we see happen in our culture all the time. Oh, well, I know that he's a good man and oh, I know that he goes to church and I, oh, I know that he uh, believes in the Bible and I know this and I know that. We can, we can give all of this credit toward things that are good but they're not the main things. And Jesus knows better than that. Jesus is the one who's taught us that God looks at the inside, not at the outside. Man looks at the outside and can heap praise on people, and we don't know what they're like in their private time. We don't know what they're like with their kids at home. We don't know what they're like with their wife just at home. We don't know if they're mean or rude. We don't know if they're harsh. We really don't know what they're like when their wife's not around. We don't know what they're like when nobody's around. We don't know that. So it's easy for us to say, oh, he's a fine man, or she is a, she is a great lady, and we don't really know what they're like. That's why I'm thankful that we're not the judge, right? But God is the judge, and God sees through and through. God knows the words before they're on our tongue. He knows the thoughts when they're in our heart. He knows what nobody else knows, and he sees what nobody else sees. And with God, it's not at all about what we've done. It's not all about the collections that we have made with our lives, but rather it is about what our heart loves. Remember the question from last week, what's the greatest commandment? And remember the answer? The answer to all of the commandments summed up together is that you would love God. Love God wholly, fully, in totality. Love God completely. Love him with your heart and with your soul and with your mind and with your body. Whoever dreamed of loving God with our bodies? Whoever dreamed of loving God with our feelings? Whoever dreamed of loving God with our brains, not just with our hearts? That the way that we think and the way that we reason and the way that we talk and the way that we argue and the way that we treat people, that those sort of things speak to the loving of God. Absolutely they do. Matter of fact, that's what it's all about. What do you love deep down? Do you love God most, first, foremost, above everything else? And so he's got some good religious people here. But he asks, what do y'all do with the Christ? Give me your theology of Jesus. What's your doctrine of the Savior? Tell me, tell me about that. And I want to stop for a second and say, well, is, is it not enough? Is it not enough that they were good going church people? Is it not enough that they had been serving the Lord through Judaism? Is it not enough that they were givers and doers? No, 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 it's not. For none of those things ultimately matter. It comes down to the Christ and what do you do with him? Well, as I've said, Jesus is the son of David. Jesus wants to know how. How is it? Because we know this about the Christ. The emphasis of the Bible is not so much that he's the son of David. It's that he's the savior of the world. We know that. And so look what he does next. 
verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit. Now, interesting addition there, okay? Notice. Jesus says that David said in Psalm 110 that he said whatever he's about to say under the power of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, what Jesus is teaching us right here is that the word of God is inspired. What Jesus is teaching us right here, listen to me, because I know you've all got friends who want to tell you that the Bible's just a book and it was written by all these different men and all of that, and they can dismiss it all they want to. I'll give you a reminder. Hey, if you don't want to believe in God, just don't believe in him. Stop trying to make all these excuses about why he's not real. If you don't believe, don't believe. That's fine with us. We'll keep preaching and God can change your life through that. But we don't need to have an argument about whether he wrote it or not. David is teaching us here he wrote it. In Psalm 110, when David says this right here in verse 1, many people want to say that David just said that. But Jesus right here in Mark chapter 12 says that David said that in the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus believes, listen to me, what Jesus believes then is that the Bible, the Old Testament, the book of Psalms has dual inspiration or dual authors. Here's what it had. Who wrote Psalms? David did. Who wrote Psalms? God did. Who wrote Psalm 110? God did. Who wrote Psalm 110? David did. David says it, but he says it in the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. He wants us to know that when you and I are reading the Bible, we are reading it from, de- from the author's perspective, but we are also reading it under the power of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Fascinating that Jesus would add this in, in the Holy Spirit. Here's what he said. This is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Verse 37, Jesus points out, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Good question. Now, if you know the Bible, or you're a true Christian, we don't have much trouble with this. It's an easy answer, and I'm about to get to it. I know you're a little bit confused right now, but I'm going to get to it. It's an easy answer. But he's asking them Because if you don't know the answer, if you don't get how Jesus is the Savior, if you don't get how David's son is the Savior, then you don't know the Lord. And this is what he's getting at. He's asking these leaders, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes, these ones who who are the authority on the word of God, he's asking them, how is this the case? He's basically asking them, so which is it? Is he the Lord, like David says in Psalm 10, or is he the son of David, like y'all are so sure of? Which is it? That's the question he's asking. Which, if you know the Lord, you know the answer. But he's got them puzzled. And notice, in verse 37, it tells us, and a great throng heard him gladly. Now listen to me. When you start getting at the heart of religion, people will start listening. Now, they may not want to be in the conversation because they're going to get uptight and nervous and they may not have any answers, but they would love to listen. I guarantee you right now, okay, if President Barack Obama or President Donald Trump, if either one of them today wanted to hold a press conference that said, 
we want to go public with what our views are on the Bible, we would tune in, would we not? We would, this whole country would tune in. Everybody that believes would tune in and everybody that doesn't believe would tune in. It would be ratings through the roof. We would love to hear them go all out, bold, clear, accurate on what they believe about the Bible. We would love that because this is the case. Because listen to me, the Bible teaches us in the book of Ecclesiastes that when God made us, he made us with eternity written on our hearts. Look it up, Ecclesiastes chapter three. God made us as human beings in his image that think about God, feel about God. We can't get our well, ourselves away from God. That's why atheists that don't believe in God are always wanting to disprove God. We are full of godness. We are. But in our sinfulness, we have separated ourselves from God and we're distant from him and we don't understand him and we disobey him. We've got all types of problems understanding God. We don't know him the way we ought to. So people are curious about a good God conversation. People, people are curious about truth. Jesus even though everybody's been attacking him, trapping him, testing him, asking him all these questions, Jesus is still there, he's still teaching, and he says, well, what about the Christ? Is he the Lord or is he David's son? I mean, which one is it, guys? Which, again, is an easy answer, I'm about to tell you. And everybody's all ears now. You see that in verse 37? The great throng heard him gladly. Oh, man, that's a good question. What are they gonna say? Which one is it? Because he's right. Psalm 110, David does call him the Lord. Now that I think about it, now that I think about it, the whole Bible is teaching us that the Savior of the world is the Lord. That's, that's a clear message. And so why is it that we so are emphasizing all the time that he's simply David's son? See what Jesus has done? Jesus has taken two things that you believe. Is Jesus the son of David? Yep. Is, is the Savior the Lord? Yep. Okay, well, how do you arrive at both? How do you arrive at both of those? Is the Savior God or is the Savior man? That's what Jesus has done. Is he related to God and so he is Lord that we bow down to? Or is he related to David through the kingly line and so we just revere him? That's what Jesus has asked. You know why Jesus is asking this? Because what you believe about Jesus is the answer to life. What you believe about Jesus is what determines whether your sins are forgiven or whether you're gonna be condemned. Notice, look back to last week. Verse 32 the scribe answered to Jesus, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. Remember, this is a scribe. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Y'all know why Jesus didn't say, you're in the kingdom of God, because Jesus has not heard this man say anything about the Savior. This man has not taken a stance or an opinion or a belief on what he believes about Jesus. 
He doesn't know if he even knows the Savior. He understands the greatest commandment, and that's a great starting place. He's going to have to deal with why he is so unable to obey it completely. He's going to have to quickly start understanding why he disobeys and what's he going to do about his sins and how does God feel about his sins and what's going to be the answer to his sins. And ultimately, how are you going to get those sins removed and how those sins are going to be forgiven? He's moving in the right direction. He's understanding rightly the heart of the Old Testament law. He's understanding it. Jesus says he's close, but he's not there. And so the very next question directed right at the scribes because it was a scribe that he was just talking to. It's a scribe that is close. The very next question that he brings up in verse 35 is, so what are you scribes gonna do about the Christ? I I, I feel you, you got the greatest commandment, you understand that. I appreciate you affirming me that I got it right. You understand it's about loving God. You understand it's about loving your neighbor, but what about the Christ? What are you gonna do with him? And it's a great question. It's the question we need to ask ourselves. And we need to ask our families. It's the question that we really need to ask our children. We need to ask our neighbors. It's the question that if we're not willing to ask them, then how will we expect them to ever know the answer? Who is Jesus? Now you know this because we've already seen it. Turn over to chapter eight. We've already seen this. But this is where he asks it to his own. Now he's asking it to those who aren't his. See, it's getting thicker. We're getting closer to the end. Look at chapter 8, verse 22. Or sorry, verse 27. 8, 27. Y'all remember this. Very well-known passage. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? This is always the question. They told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Look at verse 29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Y'all, that's the question. You got a friend that's real involved in church and does this and does that and always is helping the poor. Do they love Jesus? Are they trusting in him? That's the question. Now, obviously, y'all know that those other things aren't bad things. They're just not the main thing. I hope and hope and hope that you're a good person, loves your neighbor, feeds the poor, gives to the needy. I hope that you're doing that. Matter of fact, those are testaments that you know the main thing. But they're just not the main thing. They're not the deal breaker. They're not the key. The key is Jesus. So back at chapter 12, he's got a scribe that's close. He's got a scribe that asked a question like Jesus' answer, affirms Jesus' answer. Jesus says, man, you're close to heaven. You're close to the kingdom of God. But what about the Christ? What are you going to do with him? See, folks, here's the answer. Is Jesus David's son? Absolutely he is. Promised through the Old Testament. Related to King David. He is the king on the throne forever. Well, how is he Lord? Listen to me. There's this question. Well, how then does David call him Lord? Because listen, not only is Jesus David's son, but he is also God's son. Jesus is. 
is a son of man and Jesus is a son of God. As you know, he is 100% God and 100% man. He was born through the line of David, but he didn't have a dad. He was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. God made Mary pregnant. Jesus is God. So when he said that, he says, well, is David's son or is he the Lord? They should have said, Jesus, he's both. We know that. We know the Old Testament. He's David's son because he's born through David and he's always a king. He's Lord because he is the son of God, sent from heaven, took on flesh, lived for us, never sinned, and died for us. He is Lord. He is of man and he is of God. That's the answer. But see, you've got to know the Savior. You've got to know the Christ Messiah. You've got to know who he is in order to understand exactly what he's done. Understanding what he's done, everybody's heard that, right? Jesus died on the cross. But we know so many people that know that Jesus died on the cross, but they don't really know who Jesus is or what he's like or that he's God, that God came from heaven and that he lived perfectly for us. They don't understand that the holy God died not because of his sins or not because he could offer a sacrifice or anything like that, but he died for our sins. He died because of our sins. They don't get that. And so they know a lot about all this religious system, but they don't know the heart of it. And this is why us churches and and hopefully pastors like myself, this is why we're trying so hard to emphasize the main thing and not get caught up on things that aren't the main thing. And to make that point even so much stronger, look where he immediately goes. And this passage is going to work for next week too, but look at where he immediately goes. He's got a scribe who is close to the kingdom of God. He asks, what are you going to say about the Christ? And his immediate next words in his teaching is verse 38. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense they make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Well, what's wrong with all that? And I'm scared that many of y'all don't have an answer for it. I'm scared that many of us think that 38 through 40 is your goal for parenting. Y'all, Jesus is blasting 38 through 40. If you like to just come here and look good and you think that it's all about looking good, I was so happy this morning. Mr. Bob Samuels is here in his short sleeve shirt, got his sneakers on. Mr. Bob, you look good today. And I know your heart's in the right place on it. Mr. Bob, for so long, was suit and tie only. And I like suit and tie, Mr. Bob. But Mr. Bob understands it doesn't really matter exactly what you're looking like. And Jesus is saying here, those guys are the leaders of Bible interpretation. If anybody had a question about the Old Testament, you go see a scribe. They've got all the answers. And they come dressed up looking good. And then it says they like to greet in the marketplaces. They're the ones that make sure everybody sees them. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, it's good to see you. Yep, we're the leaders. We're the scribes. And then he says they've got the best seat in the synagogue. They make sure that they're out front and visible, and at the place of honor at feasts, they devour widows' houses. They seem to be overbearing on those who are very influenced, right? And then they make long prayers. They've received their greater condemnation. Now, let me ask you something. Visibility and taking care of widows and 
prayers and the way you dress, are those bad things? No. Those are not bad things. Just this morning, I put the girls in, Val's out of town, I put the girls in dresses. I thought about putting them in just shorts and t-shirt, but I didn't, I put them in dresses. I got Noah ready, he wanted to wear some different shoes. I said, no, no, you're not wearing those shoes. You're gonna wear these shoes that are a little bit more churchy, I guess. I said, no, you're gonna wear these. Those things matter. They just don't matter most. And as soon, listen guys, as soon as any of this becomes more about that than it does become about Jesus as the number one, we're way wrong. We're not just a tiny bit off, we're way off. Notice that Jesus tells a scribe in verse 34, you're not far. And then in verse 35 he says, what do you say about the Christ? And then in verse 38 to 40, he says, y'all are condemned. Like I said last week, close doesn't get you there. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And folks, we're a church. Our church is 100 years old and times change and all of that. We want it to be that the church is about Jesus. All those other things are something else to deal with. I was playing golf this week, and, and by weird connection, I ran into a guy that I'd seen one time in my life. It was a guy at a shoe store that sold my wife a pair of shoes. And I saw him on the golf course. I said, man, you look familiar. Do you work at such and such? And he said, yeah. I said, I think you sold me some shoes one time. All right, we're off going to the next tee. Good to see you again. That's what happened. And we were playing slow, so he caught up with us. And he said, you mind if we just join up with you guys? I said, yeah, let's do it. So now we're playing together. And we got to talking. And by the end of our round, I said, man, you ever go to church? He said, nah, never. I said, have you ever been? He said, one time, a long time ago. I said, let me get your number, man. We'll talk. Got his number. We were texting yesterday. I said, man, I enjoyed playing golf with you. Maybe we can do that again sometime soon. Would you like to come to church? This is what he wrote back. Man, I think God's been putting a calling on my life. I need to find God. This is what he's texting me, and I just met him an hour before. He said, I need to find God. He said, but I want to be honest with you. Religion has always been very intimidating to me. You know what? It's intimidating to me too. Religion is very intimidating. If it really is about long prayers and robes and greetings and seats and feasts and widows, if it's about all of that, y'all, I'm intimidated. If it's about how much money I'm given, then I'm nervous. If it's about how many times I've walked an aisle or how many times I've baptized or how many hours I pray or how many verses I've got memorized, then I'm intimidated by it all. It's very intimidating. But you know what? I can't wait to tell him. Man, Jesus is not. Jesus is the answer. And religion is going to flow, man. It's going to flow purely when he starts to see this. See, he's never in his life seen that Jesus comes strong, comes heavy at people that miss Jesus. What you do with the Savior makes all the difference. What do you say about the Christ? 
Oh, he's the son of David, all right. In the beautiful, predicted plan of God. God's been telling us he's sending the Savior since the beginning of the Bible. And he did, right there through the line of David. But he's not just another man. He's God. And he died for us. And folks, what a sweet promise in the Bible. If God dies for you, it is finished. There is nothing you need to do to add to it. Jesus paid it all. His blood is able to wash away our sins. God loves you and will forgive you of all of your sins through Jesus. Believe it. Turn to him. Trust in him and seek his forgiveness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Forgive us for ever missing the point. God, forgive us for ever making it about other things. Forgive us, God, for getting distracted and making it about something other than it's not. God, we know better than that. We read your word. We're people that love the Bible. We love the gospels. We love what Jesus is saying in Mark. Oh, God, we need a savior. We need a savior because we've sinned against you. And so God, help us to have a good, healthy response to who we say Jesus is. He is our Lord and Savior, Master and King. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.